0: The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. What's happening, everybody? It is Thursday. It's not even really the morning in a lot of places at this point, but I have an excuse, and it's not a good one. First of all, hello. It's Fantasy NBA Today. This is a Hoopball presentation. I'm your host, Dan Bespris, and I come to you today ashamed. Ashamed because I recorded a 20-minute hit with the great Matt Smith of Basketball Monster at S-Man Sports on Twitter, and I lost it. And I've spent the last hour Trying to find it. I've been running file recovery software, which has taken the entire morning and is not finding anything. I don't know where it went. And I'm so uh a combination of embarrassed and guilty and apologetic to you guys. And also to Matt, who took valuable time out of his day yesterday to hop on and break down the trade for all four teams involved, this wild James Harden, Karis LeVert, Victor Aldeepo, Jared Allen deal. That's changing the complexion of a number of teams in the NBA, and it's gone. So what I'm going to do on today's show, because there's a possibility that, and I'm running software in the background to try to find it while recording the podcast, if somehow, by some wild stroke of luck, it just pops up in this recovery process mid-show. I want to make sure that we can get it to you. So, instead of starting with the lead on today's pod, we're going to loop back around to it. So we're going to do today's show like no trade happened, because most of you have probably heard a breakdown of it by now anyway. It happened like 22 hours ago. And then... If the file pops up, great, we edit it in. If it doesn't, you're stuck with me doing the breakdown, and I could not be more angry that I may have to just talk about all of this stuff myself after a far better segment was done on it and is now gone. But whatever, whatever, we plow through. Today, I'm angry today. I'm just, it's all gone to hell. Uh let's break down the Wednesday card and we'll just take it from there. Again, this is Fantasy NBA today and Angry Dan Vespers with you here. Dallas beat Charlotte on the road 104 to 93. Luka Doncic was great in this game. He was just picking on Charlotte, had his way, 34 13 9, 2 steals, 4 blocks and 5 three-pointers. Kristaps Porzingis made his long-awaited return at 16 points, couple of blocks. He was not shy about getting shots up in his 21 minutes on the floor. That was more than I expected. I think on yesterday's show I said I expected about 17 minutes for Porzingis, and he hit 21. So that's a really good sign that he's feeling good, and they'll ramp him up at an okay clip. You know, they're not going to push him too hard. It's a weird season. They want to make sure he's all right. Dallas is hanging in there just fine with or without him because of Luka. But Luca needs help, and help is on the way. Willie Cauley Stein played 30 minutes with no Maxi Kleba and no Dwight Powell. So as much as I want to say, "Hey, look at this," it's not it's not gonna last because Porzingis is coming. Powell, Kleba, they're gonna get there. You know, 18 to 24 minutes. Also, a massive logjam in the front court is on the way. With of course Porzingis guaranteed his 30 minutes. I don't know how they find stuff for the other guys. They probably don't. The solution is they probably don't. Tim Hardaway Jr. is doing plenty right now with no Josh Richardson. His return will obviously put a little bit of a kibosh on Hardaway getting this many shots, but Timmy's been fine so far this year. He's actually not shooting all that poorly, and uh, you stick with that going forward. But Willie Cauley-Stein is sort of the mirage of the day on that Dallas side. Uh, I I was excited about him a little bit when I thought we had more time before Porzingis came back, but he's back now, so... Yeah, I mean this is this is sort of a covid mirage. On the Charlotte side, here I said this is the game. You got to you everybody's got to watch LaMelo Ball. This is the one and he was terrible. Uh, seriously though, just watch this kid. He is special. His way of playing, it reminds me actually of Russell Westbrook when he was younger. Not not the dunking ability per se, but just the speed that he's playing at, which is a gear faster than other people on the court. And I don't know what that means for a a career cuz You know, Russ has been able to last, I think, longer than we thought he would, given the way he played for so long. But, yeah, LaMelo's pretty cool, and you guys should check it out, and hopefully you'll catch him on a slightly better night. Gordon Hayward hurt his hip, but it sounds like it's not that bad. He is expected to play in their game tonight in Toronto. So, cool, bullet dodged on that front. P.J. Washington, he's ramped back up. He's totally stuck it in my eye after I said it looked like he was going to be a drop. He has taken those center minutes away from Bismack Biombo, thank goodness, and now he's a must-own guy. Miles Bridges continues to not be a must-own guy. I don't know what to tell you. I know everybody keeps arguing with me on both of those guys, and you guys were right on PJ. I abandoned ship too early there, but Miles, I don't think I did. If Hayward was going to miss time, there'd be more to talk about from this game, but it sounds like he's back quick, so everything kind of stays the course. For Charlotte, who ran into a, a Maverick-sized buzzsaw. The funny thing, too, is that Dallas didn't play that well in this game, particularly late in the ball game. Nobody scored in the fourth quarter. Dallas shot forty-two percent. Charlotte thirty-eight. Mavs uh, the the Mavs shot fifty-six percent at the free throw line. They went nine for sixteen. Charlotte was seven for fourteen. I mean, these teams wildly underachieved the expected pace of the ball game. And I worry. What does that mean for Charlotte in their next one? Is this sort of a, is this one of the lulls that comes in a long season for a particularly for a young team, but for any team? Milwaukee beat Detroit Pistons, able to cover on a last second. That's a backdoor, the gambling term for that. Jamie Grant got 19 shots up, didn't hit that many of them, but he's been so good this year that you're good with that. Blake Griffin actually looked mildly engaged for stretches of this ball game, but overall. He's just not. His usage is way down. He's going through the motions. He's ready to get moved. Mason Plumlee, only 22 minutes again. That's the kind of the way it's been against Milwaukee so far this year. It's just been a bad matchup for him. But despite a poor shooting night, he'd managed to get 13 boards, five assists, and a couple of steals, so you'll take that. And then with Derrick Rose out, Delon Wright is probably startable, although I know he went just one for 10 from the field in this game. Did have a three-pointer, a steal, a block, eight boards, seven assists. He's an all-around guy, and if he makes even four out of his ten shots, this looks like a pretty sweet line. So keep an eye on that. He likely, I've got to think he goes back to basically not playing when Derrick Rose comes back, but you kind of wait and see. It's one of those things, too, where I don't know that you want to get caught being the guy that said, well, he's not going to play once Derrick Rose is back, And then he ends up playing even after he's back. So you probably have to consider adding DeLon Wright just in case it sticks. Even though we know that there's probably like 90% chance it doesn't. It's a pretty, pretty high probability it does not stick. But if it does and you missed it, you'll be kicking yourself forever. You'll just be beating yourself senseless. So, it's a weird recommendation to make, I get it, but you probably, you probably have to add him as long as you have something useless you can cut. I think that's where you're sitting with that one. Don't cut anybody of of value. On the Milwaukee side, you finally got that sort of Brook Lopez special that we've been waiting on, three three three-pointers and four blocks, and that's really all you want out of him, and guess where Brook Lopez is ranked now? 78th just chugging right along like usual it's all evening out for the big guy and he'll be in that 70 range before before too long and if there if things break in his favor if he has a good three-point shooting season it could be better than that so fear's Bobby Portis was solid again. 23 minutes. He had 11 points. A couple of steals kind of floated his mark there. That field goal percent is coming down, though. I still don't believe this is going to last all year. I'm fine with you riding the hot hand. But just know that by the end of January, he might not be rosterable anymore. Maybe sooner, even. So far, by the way, no sign of the lost file. Brooklyn uh, invigorated by the trade that took place right before this ballgame, and I had, I'll I'll tell you right now, this is sort of an interesting little gambling motivational side tidbit. Brooklyn, I don't think, wins this game without the trade. I know what you're thinking, Dan. That sounds idiotic because they made the trade and lost Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, but didn't get anybody back in time for this ballgame. Yeah, that's true. But you know what? You know what the NBA season is about, specifically from a betting standpoint? It's about motivation. It's about emotional angles going into particular ballgames. And so in this one, Brooklyn, who I'm sure, fifth game in seven nights, they were tired. They were sort of sleepwalking into a game with the Knicks. They had no real reason to get up for the game. Kyrie Irving may or may not be back this year. (laughs) I mean, that's what we're hearing now. We would have no idea how long he's sitting out. I've got to believe that this is... Kyrie dealing with maybe some mental health issues. I don't want to. I don't have anything to back that up, but just sort of based on the lack of timeline. So I I would hope that. I mean, it's really hard without knowing. We want to. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Say that he's just dealing with something. Guys deal with stuff. With Kyrie, it just happens kind of too often, so you ultimately lose the benefit of the doubt in that instance. But maybe we'll get more information as time passes. Regardless, not even really the point. The point is, going into this game, it was a, well, Kyrie, we don't know when he's going to be back. We're tired. We just got a nice win over the Nuggets, feeling satisfied. And then, all of a sudden, something strips away two of their key guys and news that Brooklyn will have James Harden by the end of the week, by perhaps their next ball game. That's a I mean, that's something that'll wake you up a little bit. So they woke up. Brooklyn woke up, uh, had a pretty good-sized lead on the Knicks in the second half. New York almost came back late in this ballgame. But such is the weirdness of the middle of a regular NBA season. It's the grind. What wakes you up going into a ballgame? That woke you up. I mean, Kevin Durant was not really all that good in this game. I know his field goal percent and it all sort of... Evened out to a decent ball game, but this was not a great Kevin Durant game by any stretch. That's the kind of game where, if you get that out of KD and there isn't there isn't another superstar active for the Nets, you figure you'd win that ball game, because yeah, he was probably a little bit tired. But DeAndre Jordan, he got some, he got an energy boost with Jared Allen gone. He knows he's set to get a whole bunch of time on the floor. Jeff Green, energy boost. Bruce Brown, monster energy boost. Landry Shamit. Reggie Perry. Who the hell is that? Energy boost. All of these guys came in with a special kind of fire because they knew, like, I got one game to just go out. Just go nuts. The Knicks, I don't think we're ready for that. They hung in there for a bit, but it wasn't enough. Uh, Alfred Payton. Man, I know, like, I get that every day we say the same thing about this dude. I get it. He's a starting point guard, an NBA team. He should be rostered. But damn, his fantasy game is filled with holes. I almost, I feel like, you know what? Screw it. Let him be someone else's problem. Drop Alfred Payton. You heard it today. I'm done with this nonsense. I don't have to try to cover for the fact that assists are hard to find late or on the waiver wire. He's outside the top 200. That guy shouldn't be starting on a fantasy team. I don't care if you need assists. Go get Ricky Rubio instead. He's bad. He's a bad fantasy player. Turnovers are high. Both percentages stink. He doesn't hit many three-pointers. doesn't score very much. Even his assists aren't that high because Randall's doing a lot of the orchestrating. Drop him. Drop Alfred Payton. I don't care. You guys can yell at me, but he right now is a fat net negative on your team. By the way, one other thought on the Brooklyn side. Um, it seems like Joe Harris might kind of slip through this thing. I guess it depends on Kyrie's status. Because if they have all three superstars, I don't think there's enough shots for Joe Harris. He needs to be getting you know, 10 to 13 shots a game. His great percentages are, are super helpful to get three-pointers from a guy that's not hurting your field goal percent. That's a big deal. But I just... Like, I don't see how he gets to do enough once they have 3 superstars on the court. There's just nothing else. He is Joe Harris is a guy whose value is floated by his offense. He's not a defensive guy. He's not going to rebound, he's not going to get a ton of assists. He needs to get three pointers up. I mean, he'll be open. He'll get eight very open shots <laughs> every ball game. DeAndre Jordan, I'm a little bit higher on, I think, than other people coming out of this thing. I talked to Aaron Bruschi yesterday on a live show we put together right after the trade went down. That was over on YouTube. Hopefully, some of you guys were able to join us for that. And then in this missing file with my buddy, Matt Smith, who I owe a thousand apologies to again, uh, he also mentioned he didn't think DeAndre had much, of, much upside. And they're both right. So I don't want to say that either one's wrong. There really isn't much in the way of upside with DeAndre Jordan. But the thing about DJ is that it's, it's a big man situation where if he just doesn't do things wrong, meaning try not to get to the free throw line very much because we know he's not great there. He's not as bad as he used to be. He's going to go full Tyson Chandler, late stage Tyson Chandler, and sit right under the bucket on defense and on offense. And if ball comes his way, he's going to grab it. So He's going to get a bunch of rebounds. Uh, because the other guys on this team are not... KD is really probably your second option to rebound. He'll get a blocked shot or two just because he's seven feet tall and standing near the basket. He's hopefully going to keep himself out of foul trouble, but I can't guarantee that. And he's going to shoot a crazy high field goal percent because they're not going to run anything for him. It's all going to be tip slams, and lobs. He'll take four shots a game, and he'll probably make three of them. That's a top 90 type of center if he's really playing 27-ish minutes of ballgame, and I don't know how they go some other direction. Like, they mostly ran Jeff Green at backup center in this game, and you can pull that off for stretches, but there are a lot of teams in the NBA you cannot do that against. A lot of them. As the Rockets found out last year. So I think DeAndre might be playing 26 to 29 minutes most ballgames, and that's enough. That's a 12-teamer. He should be added and he was one of the biggest winners in this whole trade shakeout, but we'll get to that here later on. I still want to buy more time in case the file resurfaces, though I admit I am losing hope. Memphis beat Minnesota with a crazy fourth-quarter run. Uh, Wolves are up double digits late in this ballgame, and then Memphis outscored them like 35-10 to 10 over a crazy run. Grayson Allen got hot. JV had his kind of first real big game brandon clark had his kind of first real big game with 9 three steals love that De'Anthony melton is the story from this one though he got finally got up to that 25 minute threshold at 15 four uh assists two steals a block and a three pointer can he keep this up is the question he's, he's going to be on and off of rosters we love his fantasy game at hoop ball you can see in twenty five minutes he can easily put up fantasy value, but I mean this is a team still missing jaw, still missing JJJ. How do they find the minutes and frankly, forget the minutes, just the touches for Melton? How does he get twelve shots up once all of the other guys are back? I don't see how that's possible. So he's a little bit more of a deep leaguer, I think, when you when you grade this thing out. It doesn't look like they're trying to get him above that threshold. And I just don't see a path to it unless someone on this group that's in there right now is just straight benched. Probably more than one guy. Once John Moran and JJJ are back. Because, I mean, those guys are going to be taking, I would assume, first and second most shots on the team. The top two usage guys are not there right now. Minnesota's becoming fairly predictable. Cat, Malik Beasley, D'Angelo Russell, those guys are obviously on your team. And then Ricky Rubio is the question mark right now. He's the only one. Did get 25 minutes, made four free throws, but only took five shots. Six assists, no steals. He's going to be borderline probably all season long. I've got you guys out. Of, I mean, I don't know what the, what's wrong with you people, man. Some of you listen to this podcast exclusively waiting for me to say something that you disagree with. And on Twitter and on the podcast last week, I said Ricky Rubio is probably a drop. And then he had that 10-assist, 5-steal game. And everybody was like, nice job, Dan. Cool. Congratulations. He had two good ball games in there. You guys want to know where he is over the last week? Still outside the top 100. You guys want to know where he is over the last two weeks? 163. Where is he on the season? 154. That's not a 12-team startable guy. I get it. He's Ricky Rubio. It could come around. But if you look at his numbers right now, in 24 and a half minutes per ball game, the only thing that's off the mark is shot volume. Yes, yeah, field goal percent is a little bit down. He's at 38, but he's normally around 40 or 41. So it's not like that. That small change is not going to make a big difference in his end-of-season value. In 30-some-odd minutes a game, he would probably get you 8 assists on this team. He would probably get you... One and a half steals reliably per ball game if he was playing 30 minutes, but he's not. He's playing 24, and it's not changing very much. Night to night, he had a 28 and a 33 mixed in there when they needed him more, but then he went back to 22 and then 24 yesterday, and that's about where he's going to be unless he's playing his tail off. He's going to be. He's going to be the guy that has two good games and you guys yell at me and then has two terrible games and I yell at you. Or we could simplify this and we could just say, Ricky Rubio, probably not a top 100 guy, will have a week where he is inside the top 100. And then we'll follow that up with a week where he's outside the top 160 and it averages out to about top 125. That's where he's probably going to end up unless his minutes trend up in a big big way, because he's not going to be tasked with shooting on this team, especially not with Cat back. Cat, Beasley, Russell, Anthony Edwards, these guys are all going to get shots up long before Rubio, who's taking under six per game. He's never, I mean, he hadn't been that low in, ever. This is lowest of his career, by a lot. Do I think his minutes trend up? Yeah, maybe a little bit, from 24 to maybe 26. Would that make him rosterable? Yeah, an extra 10% ish on his stuff would probably pull him from top 120 to around top 100. But I don't know that it's going any higher than that, unless there's a large shift in sort of how Minnesota operates. And that seems unlikely right now. Lakers blew out the Thunder. Lakers are on a ridiculous mission at the moment. I'll tell you what, you know, I keep talking about how Marcus Gasol is hovering on the edge of points value he's actually number 145 in nine category leagues standard nine category leagues and if you punt points marcus soul actually jumps inside the top 90 which is sort of weird but you guys know i i i sort of don't target points in my in my fantasy leagues and so he then becomes kind of a, a little bit intriguing in a goofball kind of way, but you really do have to be hunting points because he's scoring four and a half a game, and that's not going to get it done otherwise. Uh, for the Lakers, KCP is shooting out of his mind. If that's a guy you're riding right now, get ready for the cool down. Otherwise, everything you know, this is a blowout early, and you can throw this thing out. Same deal on the other side. Horford rested. They probably should have just rested everybody. The Lakers are in clampdown mode, and they are destroying teams, especially on the road. Lakers might be a team that you fade at home and back on the road. New Orleans lost Zion midway through yesterday afternoon to COVID protocols, although the fact that no one else on the team was listed in that bucket, Lonzo out with a knee issue, makes me think that it was something on the personal side. Meaning these players, their families, whoever they're living with, those folks are actually tested also. The NBA is testing households in the NBA, and if a player's family or living situation or you know, someone who's in their house often, whether it's you know a, uh, a friend, a guest, a cleaning person, whoever, um, those people all get tested. And if any of those folks show up as a positive, then the player has to quarantine until we figure out if they're going to get it or not. So um, I don't know what that means. It's probably easier for a guy to quarantine when he's on the road, frankly, because he had ex- an exposure in his personal life and he can stay away from that person. So, hopefully, this is one of those ones where, yeah, maybe, what if Zion does test positive? Okay, maybe we were able to to you know kind of nip it in the bud, so to speak. Uh, and I think these are a little easier to deal with than when you get the positive test that, you know, a couple of players are put into a protocol on the same team. That usually means that it's something team-related. This ended up being a relatively fun game anyway because of Nikhil Alexander-Walker going for 37 I mean, what? Yeah, that was that was pretty nuts. No Lonzo, so uh, Josh Hart saw a ton of playing time and didn't really do much with it. J.J. Redick, kind of the same story. This was really Walker and Ingram, and everybody was just living in their worlds for a night. They lost, though, because Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Pat Beverly all played really well for the Clippers. Bev has quietly been really good over the last week or so. He's one of those guys that on the season is outside the top 125 because he doesn't score very much. So folks really aren't paying attention to him. But lately, he's been ramping up. This is that he goes through these stretches where he starts to look more and more healthy. He's top 85 over the last two weeks. He's uh, he's outside the top 100 over the last week because he's shooting 32%. Uh, but it, if you wipe away that 32% shooting... At 8 points, 5 boards, 3 assists, 1.3 steals, 1.7 blocks, 1.7 three-pointers, that's all really good. And so I think Pat Bev and I don't know, you know, Lou Williams hurt his hip in yesterday's ball game, but Bev's been playing uh, not 37 minutes mostly, but, you know, close to 28 to 30 most games. You don't even have to be punting points. If he's getting you 9 points a game, that's enough to be bad but not sink your teamable. And then otherwise, he does that the stuff he always does. He's a very good rebounding guard— He's he's a point guard-ish, so you know, when he's on the floor for twenty-eight minutes, he's going to sort of bungle his way into two to three assists per ball game. What we'd like to see more there. You know, there have been stretches in his career where he's been at three and a half to four assists per game. And if we climbed up there, that would make a much better case for Bev. But the threes, the the defensive stats, and again, like if you're if you're out on scoring, as so many of my teams end up being then he's another guy that belongs on fantasy teams. Simple as that. This is good. This means that Reggie Jackson is mostly getting phased out. Marcus Morris played 20 minutes in yesterday's ballgame. Nick Batum played 27, so that's turning into a little bit of a timeshare. Not great. And Ivica Zubot's had his first good game in a while, but good sort of a stretch. Dame went nuts for Portland in a win at Sacramento Kings blew a 20-point lead because their coach wouldn't call a timeout. It was the dumbest thing I've seen in a long time. Kings were up 19 late in the third quarter. Portland at three threes in a row. The Kings were just like, whatever. And then it was just chipping away. 10-point lead, 8-point lead, 6-point lead. Kings scored, went up to like 9 again, and then chipped away. There was just nothing. Once Once the dam opened, the Kings did nothing to stop it. Rob Covington hit four three-pointers, but didn't get any defensive stats. He's just not putting it all together at the same time, and people are starting to drop there, and I definitely would not do that. Don't drop. In fact, he took 12 shots. That's one of of the best signs we've seen from Cov in a while. Nurkic, 30 minutes. Quad thing didn't bother him. Two steals, three blocks, really good game. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. had one of his heaters, but that doesn't really mean all that much. And, uh, you know, Damon C.J., they're just trucking along the we'll column, another six three pointers in this game. Buddy Hield is awake. He had eight threes for the Kings. Rashawn Holmes, 17, 9, and 6. Good lord, how good has that dude been? And Tyrese Halliburton, 17 and 9. He's been awesome. He's been the best rookie in the class so far. And it really hasn't been that close. As much as I love watching Lamella Ball, Halliburton's been better so far. He's, he's on a team already. There are, I mean, this ballgame didn't really have any key add or drops. Here's one thing that I thought was also kind of dumb. Uh, the Kings were winning the Marvin Bagley minutes early in the third quarter, and then he just never got back into the ballgame. He played 19 minutes at 11-6. Actually looked pretty good in this one. And they were just like, Nope, we're going to stick with this other stuff that's not working at all. Like Hassan Whiteside's nine minutes. Or Corey Joseph's 17 brutal minutes. I get it. You can't play your starters the whole game. I know you got to roll other guys out there, but you could. I mean, you could give Bagley a shot to get back into the ball game. Instead, they trotted a bunch of guys out. Kings looked exhausted by the end of this thing too. I mean, Luke Walton, from a player, from a personnel management standpoint, is just one of the worst. I hold grudges because he did this crap with the Lakers too. You guys know I'm a Lakers guy. So that was yesterday. We turned the page towards tonight. Thursday, generally a lighter card, although other cards that are supposed to be bigger keep getting these ballgames postponed, and they all end up a little bit tighter to one another in total number of games happening. So there's five tonight. Miami and Philadelphia are in a rematch, but Philly's getting some of their guys back for this ballgame, so the Sixers now are favored by 10.5 points. Miami was able to send the first one to overtime. I just don't know that they'll have enough in the tank to do it again. It's pretty rare for me to favor a double-digit favorite in my betting analysis, but that's where I'm at. Because with Philly, they just, they're going to have fresh bodies. And that's going to go a long way. And I don't think they really want to get in a dogfight like they did in the last one. But what the hell do I know? It's a big spread, and you probably could almost never advocate betting on a double-digit favorite. Fantasy standpoint, Miami, you've got some fill-in stuff going on. Kelly Olenek should look great again. Tyler Hero is going to do a ton again. Duncan Robinson... Precious Achua looked really good in that last fill-in while they wait for Bam and Jimmy and Avery and the whole cavalry to go on. everybody to come back in their next one. Uh, I believe Seth Curry, however, is still out. So the folks that were exposed to Seth last week didn't catch it. That's fantastic news for Philadelphia. They managed to quarantine those guys, and it seems like they managed to keep Seth Curry from infecting others on the team. It's remarkable, but great news. No long-term stuff going on here with uh, with Philly since they didn't make the trade for Harden. Charlotte on the back-to-back in Toronto Raptors laying eight and a half points. I for the life of me, I cannot figure out um, how the Raptors continue to get this much betting love. They've been awful so far this year, and then you look at this game and you're like, well, you know, maybe somebody knows something I don't know. And so I'd be inclined to leave this ballgame alone because it's screaming to bet on Charlotte with as terrible as the Raptors have been. And this is one of those ones where you're like, okay, you know, what? one of the oldest adages in betting is never follow a public underdog. Meaning when everybody's betting an underdog, that's hard to create. <laughs> public loves to bet on the team with the bigger name, the, the, the team they think is going to win the ballgame tends to be the one that public bettors wager on, despite the fact that that team is always going to be laying points. And so, you know, if you look at the card today, uh, you, you sort of have to wipe out Rockets Spurs because a bunch of guys are out on the Houston side. The, one of the very few teams that is catching significantly more of the betting tickets happening right now is the Hornets. This is sort of a weird card to make this analysis on, because you've got the Sixers Heat, which has all these weird factors out on the COVID side, Rocket Spurs, because of that trade that just went down, and then Wall is out, and Eric Gordon's out, and the Rockets are down a whole bunch of dudes, and then the Warriors and Nuggets are both kind of public teams right now, Warriors maybe even more so trailblazers probably you could call a little bit more of a public team, but that line, I think you're going to split the cash pretty well. So this this is not a great example of uh, how to look and, and figure out who the public is going to bet on. But, like, we actually do have a couple of the lines for tomorrow's games. For instance, the, the Clippers are laying 6.5 points in Sacramento. There's an example of one. Without even—I mean, that line just came out, like, within the last few minutes. Without knowing anything else— about what's going to happen in that game. I can already tell you most of the betting public, meaning non, they call them wise guys or sharps or whoever, they're going to be on the Clippers because they think the Clippers are the better team. They are, and they don't care that they're laying six and a half points. They figure the better team's going to win. They'll always cover. Obviously, that doesn't happen, but that's how that works. So picture that type of scenario, but the public coming in on the team, they, the lesser team, which is kind of what's happening here with the Hornets and Raptors. So I'm leaving that game alone entirely. Uh, I would like to see how the Raptors are going to run their personnel. Because the last couple, they've basically phased out traditional big men in favor of more Chris Boucher and a little bit more Norman Powell, who still hasn't been good, but it does seem like they're trying to give him every opportunity to get there. He's not there. (laughs) They're trying to get him there, but he's not there. He had 10 points Three boards, one assist in the last ball game. His minutes are seemingly trending up a little bit. 26, 27, then 22, and only 20 in Portland. Can he get back up into that 25, 26 range? That's going to be the thing. He's not going to rebound very much. He's not going to pass very much. It's all going to be about percentages, threes, scoring, and steals with Norman Powell, and he's just hes not there, and he's been really difficult to roster in fantasy to this point. Real difficult. He doesn't belong on teams right now. I mean, he's a guy I think you can just plop on your watch list because no one else is adding him. People are dropping him slowly, and a lot of folks have added him back and then redropped him. He's in that pocket right now. uh, But he's definitely someone to keep an eye on because if, if anything ever, if like if the, the dam breaks and, and things start to go the right direction for him, cool. Rockets at Spurs. Everybody's out for Houston. So if you want to stream some guys have at it, I think you'll probably see some pretty big lineups here. So more Boogie, more Christian Wood, who the hell knows who's even going to get them the basketball Spurs back home after a long road trip. They're laying seven in this ball game. It's mostly stream time in San Antonio. Although it sounds like DeMar DeRozan is back. So uh, this should be a super weird ball game, both for fantasy and for betting purposes. I like the Rockets, though. By the way, I I think even with a bunch of guys out, they feel like a cloud is lifted there. James Harden gone, Victor Oladipo on his way. Warriors catching five in Denver. The Nuggets are indeed a slightly better team than Golden State. I think this will be this is a pretty good line as far as I'm concerned. This is a good line. Nuggets couple points better than the Warriors. In power rankings, that's exactly where we're sitting right now. There's not much from a betting value standpoint happening here. Total of 225 dropping precipitously because both of these teams are starting to try a little bit more and pace in the NBA is starting to slow a little bit more. From a fantasy standpoint, I don't know that there's a whole lot to keep an eye on. Nuggets, you're always just sort of watching who besides Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic can do some stuff with Mike Porter Jr. still out. And on the Warriors' side, it's, it's Draymond Green is probably the only thing worth keeping tabs on. He's been ramping up a little bit after taking a few games to get his legs underneath him. And then the Pacers are in Portland. Blazers on a back-to-back. They're laying three. It's also a pretty good line. This is going to be a dogfight, man. Can Dame... Follow up his monster game in Sacramento with another one. Is there a letdown here? Pacers got a nice win in Golden State after they lost in Sacramento. You know, these teams are sort of bouncing back and forth a little bit. Indiana is uh, waiting on Karis LeVert. I don't believe he'll be active for this ball game. And even if he was, I'm sure they would work him in slowly. But that is probably the thing to keep an eye on. If, they're, if Karis LeVert is active, I'd probably look at the Blazers. Because I assume, you know, he'd play... And would be largely disruptive <laughs> until he gets a practice under his belt. But I don't think he's going to play like that. This would be a long way to send him join the team in Portland. I I I don't know. What what the hell do I know? Maybe they maybe they rush it. The trade is official as as of this morning. So if he wanted to, he could play with his new team. I just I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised. Slight lean to the Pacers in this one. I don't see them getting beat up. If we could somehow get them. Up to three and a half or four, that'd be a big difference maker for me because I, I mean, covering a three point line is, as an underdog, if you're not winning the game, is pretty rough. But I think this one comes down to the wire. Slightly lean to the Pacers. Fantasy wise, not much. I mean, with Indiana, and we'll talk about the trade here in a second, but they replaced one shooting guard with another. Well, I waited as long as I could though. Now. It, went through yesterday went through today and damnable computer did not rescue the file and i i again I just i feel like such an ass but here we are um we'll get matt back on the show soon if <laughs> if he's willing to now that i've wasted his time today but uh i well we'll give him a promo anyway cuz i'm too damn dumb to keep the file he is again matt smith at Man sports A big thank you to Matt for taking the time to do this segment with me that I now am going to redo by myself because the file is missing. Uh, What Matt said, by the way, because I do remember what we talked about, is that there wasn't a clear must-add guy where if you don't get this guy, it's going to really impact your team. That's kind of the short version. And yes, we went through all four teams, and and I'm going to do that here in just a moment. But the overarching note is that... The results of this James Harden swap with players involving four teams being involved is that largely it's guys kind of getting squeezed a little bit. And then with Houston, everybody just kind of gets to do a little bit more. I believe that DeAndre Jordan is going to be a little bit better than folks are saying. I think that he does have kind of that... I don't want to say enough in the tank because it's not like he's going to be getting up and down the court. But you know they're not going to need him for more than screen setting on offense and rebounding on defense. So he's going to see enough time. They'll probably go get another center. That's the other part of that is uh, Dwayne Dedman is floating around out there. They can easily pull in someone that could play 22 minutes, 18 minutes, whatever it is, let them go small for some stretches if they want, and that would drive DeAndre's minutes back down into the low 20s, at which point he again becomes waiver wire fodder. I think for right now... He's a guy that needs to be picked up in case that whole process takes a while and we don't still know what's going on with Kyrie. Uh, not that that has a, a massive bearing on on what DeAndre Jordan's going to do, but he'll have an opportunity to get those boards, get those dunks that at least here in the short to medium term makes him a useful fantasy player. But let's break this down team by team. Brooklyn gets James Harden and let's go ahead and assume that Kyrie Irving actually does come back at some point and it's weird by the way to do this whole segment again when I feel like I've already done it twice <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna do it like we're doing it the first time with Brooklyn James Harden is in Karis LeVert Jarrett Allen out we just talked about DeAndre Jordan but what does it mean for Harden and the superstars well there's just no way that James can put up the kind of numbers alongside KD and Kyrie That he was doing either alone in Houston or alongside even Russ, certainly alongside Chris Paul, where he had unlimited usage. And that's just not going to be the case anymore. He probably falls towards the middle of the first round, would be my guess. Maybe the back end at the very worst, but this does and one thing I was saying on, on the live show yesterday is that I don't know that this is the perfect time to buy low on Harden. I think Harden owners want to see how this goes a little bit. And if there's if there's some speed bumps right out of the gate, that's your window to go try to get him for uh, a second rounder. You're I mean, you're going to have to come with a pretty damn good offer. This is still James Harden we're talking about. I'm not moving off of KD. His fantasy game translates arguably better than the other two guys on that team because he can rebound and block shots and his percentages are so damn good. Kind of the same story with Kyrie. Yes, volume is super helpful for him, but both percentages are strong for Kyrie and that will keep it from taking too large of a nosedive where with Harden, usage is everything and the field goal percent is not going to float him. Free throw percent is part of the reason he's as valuable as he is. So as he does less, his value drops quicker everybody's will drop a little but those who have good percentages it drops more slowly it drops a little bit more slowly if only because there are other ways and forget the percentages even you know the the blocks for KD the rebounding stuff like that those are things that he can still do and who knows maybe these guys all see uh, a bump in assists with Harden in town I, I wouldn't guarantee it because he's not a guy who's great with catch and shoot <laughs> but you never know. So, no, you're not moving off of those guys. And with Kyrie, I think right now, yeah, uh, you know, the, the Sean Marks came out and said that he's taking COVID tests every day. They don't know when he's coming back, but it sounds like he's trying to stay ready and able to come back. And with that in mind, I'm inclined to think that he does ultimately return to the team. I know there was a rumor floating around yesterday that he was willing to sit out the season. I don't think that's happening. That said... I would unload him for, you know, a top 25 type of guy right now because you just probably even a top 35 kind of guy. You just got to get out from under it in case something crazy happens. And if nothing crazy happens, then you just you chalk it up to a win for the guy who bought him off of you. But there are very few instances where I'm willing to sell low. I think this is one of them. There's just too much risk in a shortened season to ride that one out and hope that it somehow gets better. Indiana's an easy one. Levert in, Oladipo out. Karras will kind of keep doing what he was doing. There's a perfectly carved out role for him in Indiana. He'll be fine there. He's going to hurt you with both percentages, but he'll probably do enough and other stuff to get himself onto the uh, must-start side of the line. Cleveland's a weird one. Torian Prince and Jared Allen are members of the Cleveland Cavaliers, and uh, I don't know what Torian Prince is going to do out there. He's sort of jammed in. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. is not playing right now, but uh, Isaac Okoro is. Jetty Osman is. I don't think Prince was the guy that they wanted in this trade. I think it was Jared Allen. I think Prince was the guy they took to make it happen, so I wouldn't expect him to see big minutes, but you never know. So if you have someone on your team who's just floating around and useless you could just stash Torian for one or two games and see what happens but I wouldn't expect a whole lot to be to uh, uh to work in your favor on that one he's a speculative ad in the most speculative sense of the word Jared Allen on the other hand he's uh he's in trouble man he goes to a team now in Cleveland that has Five centers on the roster. I know they're willing to play some of these guys at other spots on the floor, but Jared Allen, JaVale McGee, Andre Drummond, Kevin Love, Larry Nance Jr. Five centers on that roster. So even if guys like Jetty Osmond were seeing a couple minutes of power forward or Torian Prince might have seen a couple minutes of power forward, even if you assume they don't see a single second at power forward, and even if you assume... That Larry Nance Jr. can squeeze out, I don't know, eight to ten small forward minutes. I haven't a clue how those five guys can split the front court minutes. Because Andre Drummond is not going to settle for less than 28. When Kevin Love comes back, he's probably not going to settle for less than about 28, which only leaves you 40. For JaVale McGee, Larry Nance Jr., and Jared Allen, and they want to play Jared Allen. So he's going to get in there for, I would think, at least 24. I have no idea how they pull this off. None. No bleeping clue. My guy Larry Nance Jr. is definitely in trouble. I mean, they want to find places to get him on the court because he's a great facilitator. He's he's perfect for everything that they're trying to do. JaVale McGee might not see the floor again. That may be step number one, is his 18 minutes go down to zero. So let's assume Jared Allen takes all of JaVale McGee's minutes. And Larry Nance, maybe he slides down and a couple extra minutes at small forward, so that's another way to create a few extra power forward minutes for Allen. But then you you have to deal with Kevin Love coming back. So that's a total disaster. They're going to have to move somebody. McGee, even if they bench McGee, they're going to have to move somebody. And, uh, you know, Drummond on an expiring contract, you would think he would potentially be the guy. But who knows? It's easier said than done. Everybody's like, oh, just trade this guy. It's not that easy. If you actually want some kind of return on your trade, it's not that easy. Well, good luck to the Cleveland front court. I hope. Unfortunately, you know, as much as we love Larry Nance, this is this is gonna ding him. It's gonna ding him. And finally, the Houston Rockets, who uh, might be the most interesting part of this, but we won't know about it for a little bit because Victor Oladipo is on his way. Eric Gordon and John Wall are both out. Wall with uh. That's a migraine for John Wall. I've actually missed with the Eric Gordon. It's his leg sort of typical Eric Gordon stuff. So those guys are both out. Houston is down all of the backcourt pieces. They have all of their frontcourt guys right now. So, you know, cool, but I have no idea who's going to be getting them the basketball. You're in stream country. I don't care about that stuff. This, this is not time of the year where I'm worried about these day of streaming things in terms of the going forward part of the proceedings in Houston. Eric Gordon sees a bump, and everybody's like, well, what about, doesn't Oladipo just take James Harden's spot on the floor? Yeah, he does. But he takes James Harden's spot with, like, probably seven or eight percentage points of usage given back to the main pool. So a lot of that's going to go to John Wall and Eric Gordon. Because Christian Wood is getting plenty. I don't know how his goes up. Boogie, he'll get a bunch when he's on the floor, but Eric Gordon's going to get to do a whole bunch of stuff, and it's possible that now his usage gets high enough to sort of counterbalance the issues he has with his fantasy game, namely field goal percent and kind of lack of other stuff besides three-pointers and scoring. So Eric Gordon's a guy that was probably already added because, you know, when this hardened drama started, everybody picked up Eric Gordon wisely, I should say, because it all came to a head very quickly. So he's probably not on your waiver wire. But if he is, go get him. And then, you know, Victor Oladipo, he'll probably get to do a little bit more in Houston than he did in Indiana, but not by much. Pretty similar valuation there. John Wall, he gets a bump. Because with Oladipo, he's going from playing with Malcolm Brogdon and Demonis Sabonis to playing with John Wall, Eric Gordon, Christian Wood. I mean, he's going to get almost the same number of touches. Maybe a couple more. Maybe the winners are the other guys in Houston. Because with Harden out, the iso ball is gone. The very slow-developing pick-and-roll ball is gone. They're going to be blitzing. They're going to be John Wall fast. That's his, that's his tempo now. It's get it and go. So that's good for everybody. More pace, more possessions, more touches because Harden's not there. And if you've got Rockets, this is a time for celebration. This is a time for celebration on your fantasy team because, you know, Christian Wood, he'll do more. Boogie's going to do more. Wall's going to do more. Gordon's going to do more. And probably Oladipo will do about the same. The real pisser here is that Oladipo is in the middle of a five-game week even with some sit-outs on back-to-backs and (laughs) just gets decimated. Ah, well. Should have played Roto. And that's your James Harden trade buried at the end of the podcast because I held out fleeting hope that I'd be able to rescue a clip lost to the annals of history. Damn it. That's what I say to that. Damn it. Ah, Nuts. This is me killing time at the end of the show while trying to see if maybe I can find the file, and I can't. It'll probably turn up at some point, like, tomorrow morning. At which point, you know what? If it does turn up, I'm never going to stop looking. If it does turn up, I will... I'll just turn it into an audio-only YouTube clip, and we'll put that on, uh, on the, uh, the social medias. Fair enough? Fair enough. I really want to find this thing. I'm going to try everything I can. D- digging through file recovery software that could take the entire day... But anyway, just know I'm trying. Again, massive apologies to Matt Smith, who helped me put together a nice little 20-minute segment. He is, again, at S-Man Sports on Twitter, and we will get him back here in a few weeks where he can uh, call me out for being a dumbass. I'm Dan Vespers at Dan Vespers on Twitter. If you'd like to go over there and call me an idiot on Twitter, I'm okay with that as well. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. Tomorrow, Friday show, we'll wrap up the week. That's our, that's our big blowout where we talk about All of the pickups, the drops, the holds, the buy lows, the sell highs, the watch list, the streamers, everything that happened through the week and then preview the weekend. And by preview, it's really all about homework. We want to know what we're looking for in the teams that play over the weekend because then we're ready to act on it. Loop back around to Monday for that reverse chronological lightning round. Thanks again for listening, everybody. One more time, my apologies for the goofball mess up today. Back at you tomorrow morning. So long.